Welcome to Holding Center, a podcast created to help you own and hold center stage, not only on show day, but also in your life. I'm your host, Ashley Markham, owner of Myo Strength, and joined with me is my co-host, Ashley Spoker, owner of B&B Fit. Let's hold center. Yo, what's up? What's up? What's up? What's going on? How was your week? Oh my God, dude. Literally 36 hours in California. Like it was a quick like zip and back and I took the red eye home and I thought I was going to die. Like it was fine, but like I felt like complete butthole on Sunday where I was like, I didn't do shit. I like got some like laundry done. I like kind of tidied up the house and I went grocery shopping, but like I was useless. But then Monday got a full eight hours of sleep. So I'm definitely back at it, but no, it was, it was a good trip. It was nice to see Eric's grandma to be able to say goodbye before she passes away. And it was good. I wouldn't do it again. Um, in that short of a time frame because again, it just like totally fucked with just my body and stuff, but it's all good. How are you? I just want to make note here that she's not exaggerating because we were obviously texting over the weekend and there was like, not even sentences. It was like, she was having a I was like, what the fuck did you just try and say in that text message? But it is a lot to do like a 36 hour flight, um, you know, getting, get out and especially being in a different time zone too. It's three yeah. hours. Behind. Yeah. So yep, that's, exactly. Exactly. That's it's like I gained three hours and I lost it. It was like the worst daylight savings time ever. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I can't even imagine doing that, but I'm glad you got to see his family and be there for, for him and see his grandma and stuff. My week was pretty chill. Uh, celebrated my father's birthday over the weekend. So I had a little family get together, but nothing exciting. Just keeping on, keeping on. I've been really low key lately. Um, just same shit, different pile. I love it. I love it. Guys, we have a very special guest today. We are joined by Alex. I want to say Keiko. Am I saying that right? Kickle, but doesn't matter. Kickle. Whatever works for me. Damn. I was, I really butchered last name. I apologize. We are here it's with good. Alex Kickle. And he, we're, he's going to be joining us and talking to us about like females and PEDs. But before we kind of dive into that topic, like first off, Alex, how are you? And second off, we would love to just kind of hear a little bit about your your own personal journey, your own personal background, because obviously you have this such this huge wealth of knowledge in all things physiology related, but also kind of like on that enhancement side. So we'd love to just kind of hear a little bit about you and your story. Yeah. And before I even say that, I'll say, sorry, you guys have to go through that with the grandmother. That's so tough. Last year, my grandfather passed and he was like, I didn't appreciate him until he was gone with how much he taught me to mature and be a man. And that's just, it's not fun to go through. So just my condolences and my best wishes for you guys. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, so for me though, switching it completely around, I'm doing fantastic. Amazing Uh, morning with my kids. They're doing amazing. My wife just actually ended maternity leave. She's back at work today, but she works from home. So we just ping pong a little Apollo (laughs) our third. Uh, back and forth and we're just having a blast great workout today and I'm just pretty much as happy as can be I love it well happy to hear that and yeah I know that you uh welcomed your third child in recently so congratulations on you on that thank you yeah eight weeks old and I feel like this third time around we've mastered it like the first one is so hard and you're like how can I live like this with the sleep deprivation second one you're like oh it's not that bad third one's like give us seven more we'll be fine <laughs> how old are your how old are your other two? You got eight weeks and then how old are the other two? Yeah, so Lila's three and a half, Aiden is one and a half, and then Apollo is yeah, eight weeks. Holy shit. Well, I guess bang them out all at once, but dang, that's a lot of little kids all at once. Good for oh, you. We, we have it worked out perfectly. It's literally this is how we have it set up. One year we go on vacation to Disney, next year we have a kid. 
So a year to let wifey heal up and recover, Lindsay, mm-hmm. and then have the kids. So this year is going to be Disney. Then next year, baby four, Disney, baby five. And we're probably going to tap out at five. Uh, I always want to make sure I have enough time to spend with them and give them all the love I can. And I feel like more than five, like I would neglect one or another. And I would just feel like mm-hmm. that's my worst nightmare. So I think five is going to be our magic number. Wow. Absolutely. Like they already outnumber you as is. You don't want to have them like completely be able to like do a coup where it's like they can just keep <laughs> you and Lindsay out of the house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just put me in the basement. Give me a computer so I can still write the checks, you know? That's right. That's right. Well, again, congratulations to you. And I'm glad that everyone is healthy, happy, and safe. That's awesome. Thank you. But yeah, let's go ahead and dive into a little bit of your background. Talk about like essentially how you became this like you know, I almost want to say mogul when it comes to just your knowledge on physiology and especially with enhanced physiology, like, you know, what got you into it? You know, how did you learn? How did you go from like learning, you know, what I say shit about Dick, where you essentially learn nothing to just being this person that, you know, has webinars that has mentorships and also eBooks. Yeah. So I started off a completely different person than I am today. I was in high school, not, I was never naturally smart. I always had to, you know, try really hard just to get a C or if I was lucky, maybe a B. Um, back then, I was the traditional jock high school guy who's the womanizer, the bully. Like, I was a terrible person in high school. Absolutely horrendous. Got a concussion playing lacrosse because I did lacrosse and amateur boxing. And then after that, I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't really do anything for six months. I remember getting up. I woke up in my bedroom. I, I remember the lacrosse game. And then I woke up in my bedroom. I'm like you know, why do I have hair on my face? Like, why, why, why do I feel my ribs? Like, what's going on? Go into the bathroom and I see my face sunken and I lost like 40 pounds because I was bedridden for six months. So at that point, I was like, all right, there's no more contact sports, number one. But number two, I just have to fix my brain and learn how to heal these things. So that got me into, my friend at the time was doing bodybuilding. His older brother was competitive bodybuilding. He's worked with coach. So I said, I'm going to hire that coach and just learn what bodybuilding is. And that got me into learning about nutrition dietetics. And I started off in the dietetics field. Didn't like that because you're constrained by too many legal parameters. I actually uh, shadowed Bonnie Tracy, who at the time was the Pittsburgh Steelers dietitian. And it was basically pick off the menu. This is all you can do. And I'm like, I don't like that. So switched majors, ended up doing pieces of paper on the board, got my master's in um, human performance and injury prevention, which is cool, but it's also kind of like what college did for me was it taught me how to learn and how to find information. What you actually learn in schooling is a shame, but it's not that applicable to working with real world athletes or dysfunctional or just really any one of the things that, you know, all three of us do day to day. So at that point, I started posting on the bodybuilding.com forums and just posting up studies and information stuff that I was just trying to learn to make myself a better athlete. And all of a sudden people started asking, Oh, you know, can you coach me? Can you do this? And again, I was working a full-time job at that time, still going to school and all that fun stuff. And I didn't want to take anyone's money because I knew I had nothing to offer, but I started getting a lot of progress and traction right away with a lot of natural bodybuilders, males and females, just winning their shows, winning their pro cards, winning their pro shows. And then after people started throwing money at me, I was like, maybe I can do this for real. And that's kind of where it started. It went from the bodybuilding world to then working with strongmen and powerlifters to then working with dysfunctional to working with sumo wrestlers, chess players, like you name it. I'm probably working with them or have worked with them. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And a lot of it has all been, I don't want to say self-talk because that sounds like you're taking all the credit for yourself. I spent tens of thousands of dollars on consult calls with people from outside of our industry, other healthcare professionals and things like that to just learn. 
I really believe you can learn something from everyone. Your dumb, retarded neighbor down the street has something that he can teach you because he's looking at the world through a different lens. So if you look at everything in life as an opportunity, you start realizing I can learn something from this person. It may not be what I would learn, but it's something, whether it's be a better person, finance is something in this biological or you know, drug-induced world, anything. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Damn, I've been on here for 10 minutes and I've already learned 15 things. Like that's I know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's a lot of truth to your statement there. Facts. <laughs> no, that's incredible. It seems like you have a very, very robust background. I'm excited to learn from you, even from this podcast. I'm gonna have to kind of juggle between like asking you questions, but also like taking notes as well. And I'll have to like re-listen to the podcast just so I'm like, oh shit, I forgot he said that. Okay, definitely do that. And as I talk, I'll try and slow down my speech. When I get so excited, I'm a dopamine head. So I dump out so much dopamine. I see your smiling faces asking these cool questions and I just get excited. So then I'm thinking 10,000 things I want to say, speech picks up and I just get excited. So I'll slow it down and make sure we're on the same page. I love it. I love nice it. Cat, by so the way. Of... <laughs> yeah, she's got a dope ass hat. Um, so kind of the first question that I really want to like talk about is, kind of the idea of cycle mapping. So obviously when we are working with athletes, you know, whether it's a first time athlete or, you know, a, a advanced competitor where they have used enhancement before, we want to look at certain char characteristics when it comes to compound selection. So for example, like you've said, I think you said in the past where you might select Masteron over Primobolin because the individual might struggle with like insulin sensitivity and like estrogen modulation. So how do you go about that with compound selections for females? Like what does the cycle mapping maybe kind of look like when it comes to female enhancements? Definitely. And so just to verify for everyone listening, this is all about females specific to females. Mm -hmm. Different conversations are for other days on different topics. So yep. with specificity in mind with females, it's really cool. And Mastron's an interesting one. So we'll kind of start off there. It seems like the vast majority of females don't respond well to Mastron. We'll say maybe 80% or the 20% respond amazingly well to it. Could be the changes with estrogen modulation, the changes at the liver, because if we compare males to females, we have a different uh, liver sexuality. If you actually read the research, it's referred to as liver sexuality. So females have this cool estrogenic, androgenic kind of milieu of hormones in the liver, and males kind of more dominant on the androgenic side of things. That causes us to dismantle drugs and foods and respond to the photonic exchange from the sun in different ways. So whether it be something like that, that Mastron cuts into the majority of females to not respond well, we see that kind of being a key thing. So usually Mastron and females, I kind of say, put it to the side, we'll trial it at one point, but that's not going to be our biggest player. If you've already used it in the past and you know you respond well, awesome. You're in that 20%, go for it. That's going to be a drug for you. So we have Mastron, we kind of put that to the side. We have Priobol. That's going to be the player to just drive protein translation transcription. So literally just getting the drug to dock into receptor, send that signal to say build muscle. That's what I'm referring to when we say protein translation transcription. It's literally get the uh, receptor to spit out a protein, translate it, transcribe it, all that kind of good stuff. If we have something like Anivol, kind of think about that in the female world as being almost the same thing as a Primobol, but in oral form in terms of drive muscle growth but it's cool because it works very good on long-term energy systems. So what does that sound like? Everyone always loves to make fun of women in CrossFit, which I don't know why, but then make fun of all the CrossFit women who are more muscular than most of us guys for taking Anabar. And yet it's because it works on long-term energy systems as well as driving, driving muscle building. So that's why they're taking it. They're doing the right thing. They're being smart about it. Um, we have oral Primobolin, which those actual tablets are 
generally harder to find, um, especially in this day and age, but if females tend to respond better to that than even injectable primobolin, because if we look at the antagonist at the liver, they get more robust acute side effects. So within drug signaling, there's something that is acute and something that's chronic. So non-genomic and genomic. If we understand this with females, well, females aren't gonna be staying on blasting androgens in these cycles for 20 weeks at a time, not like some guys do. Females are looking at truncated windows because the longer a cycle goes on from an androgenic side of things, females will accumulate more negative side effects. So the deepening of your vocal cords can actually hypertrophy those vocal cords. Your jawline can actually start chewed a little more, the facial hair, the changes with clitoral growth, the changes actually with nipple architecture. All those things can change and it's all obviously about dosage as well, but more so about duration. So as a blanket mm -hmm. statement for females, if we're looking at just using an androgen, truncated. Do blocks of you know four to eight weeks, four to six weeks, something like that so that you don't accumulate those negative side effects. So if we go back to the mapping portion of everything we're talking before, now we kind of have some of the basics down with just duration of use and all that kind of cool stuff. If we look at some of the other options out there, Anadrol, an amazing drug, females respond amazingly well to it, but we're talking like half a milligram or one milligram. That's a very, very small amount. Usually there's no bad drug. It's usually the dosage you're introducing into the wrong environment. That's gonna drive a lot of creatine synthase activity. So intramuscular, nitrogen, glycogen, ions, fluid, it's just gonna push everything into there so you get nice fold and round. So physique competition wise, maybe you're going in for bikini and your glutes and your delts just aren't as round as they need to be. Really, really, really low dose androgen can be an awesome addition there. And you just go down this list of different drugs, different options, and you say, okay, what do I really need? And then put it in these truncated windows. So if you're being on androgens for four to eight weeks, roughly we'll say, you're gonna be off the androgens for four to eight weeks just so we don't accumulate negative side effects. That off period doesn't mean off completely. It just means no sex hormones. Get off of those mm -hmm. sex hormone cascades because those are things that will cause the negative side effect accumulation. That means all the ancillary compounds, the peptides, females respond so well to low dose insulin, insulin therapies, growth hormones, um, the GWs of the world, and all those other players out there. You just kind of boing flip, switch it back and forth. So it's androgens, no androgens, androgens, you just keep doing that, getting your blood work done every 12 to 20-ish weeks and make sure things are staying in check. And I think that kind of sets us up for the rest of this conversation. So with that, where do you guys want to go from there? Absolutely. Damn. I'm like <laughs> taking notes. Uh, I would say for a first time female that is like wanting to, I hate this so much, to cross to the dark side. Like I get the phrase, but like for a female that's like, listen, like I want to take bodybuilding to the next level. I have, you know, dialed in my diet, my training, everything else. And I want to use some enhancements. What is your progression when it comes to, you know, kind of flipping that switch and helping females grow a little bit better and quicker when it comes to those ancillaries and PEDs? Like, do you start them straight out on, you know, sex hormones? Like you start them out on the androgens or do you have like a stepwise approach where you do insulin therapy, growth hormone therapy, peptides, and then do you, you know, kind of do the heavy hitters with the androgens? So I can tell you're asking this, you already know the answer by how you worded it. In the best case scenario, we would start off with a low-dose clenbuterol or a low-dose insulin or low-dose growth hormone. The problem with that is in our industry and society today, insulin and growth hormone get such bad raps and some people aren't comfortable with taking that right out of the gate. So let's say they're comfortable. You've had those conversations because as you guys know, as coaches, we're not forcing anyone to do anything. It's, hey, this is the best route. Do you want to do that? If you don't want to do that, we can go with option B and T so if we're going with the most effective route, first and foremost, let's avoid negative side effects. Let's not masculinize. Let's get the most amount of growth out of the least amount possible. 
So one of the coolest things females can do is five or 10 micrograms of clenbuterol. At that low dose, you're not getting that spill over into the sympathetic side of things. And what that's not doing is it's not causing the lipolytic and fat loss beta oxidative cascades. Instead, it's driving up background mTOR. Everyone knows mTOR, building muscle tissue. So literally, four to six week course of five or 10 micrograms of clenbuterol, keep it there stagnant, and it's just going to cause more robust gains in muscle tissue. So cool. So this girl, she, she wants to do this. She tries it out. Four to six weeks of this clench, she's amazing. She responded well to it, no issues at all. We put that in the anabolic mapping column of good. She responded well. What's the next thing? Maybe now we do a four to six week course of a low dose insulin therapy. Just bring in half an IU, one IU. At half an IU, it's so hard to dose on those insulin syringes. So maybe you have to go with the full one IU. Bring that in. Generally, pre workout is the easiest time for first time users because whenever we train, we get that release of cat. Cholines, all that myotrophic damage drives up blood glucose. On top of that, we're generally having an intra-workout shake, right? We're generally very good at having pre-intra and post-workout nutrition. So it's almost, it's not impossible to go hypo, but it's very less likely. So that's good, right? We want to make sure we're establishing these good habits because if you take insulin the first time and go hypo, you're going to get freaked out and never going to do it again. So let's start it <laughs> off low. Let's start it off pre-workout. Let's try and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's try and diminish uh, potentials for going hypoglycemic. And by the way, just so everyone knows, hypoglycemia is not anything to be afraid of. You can use it in specific fat loss periods for benefits. Your body has so many fail safes in place to make sure that you will never die from going hypo. You have to really yeah. take, I mean, the original clinical trials were, I don't know, hundred IU bolus and they were, their bodies were still able to release enough glucagon to break down and release enough catecholines to break down stores and give you energy and donate that energy. So it's not something to be afraid of, but you gotta be aware of it. So same yeah. like it sucks ass to feel but like it doesn't feel good, but like you don't like freak out because that's just going to make it worse. Just have your Gatorade and you're fine. Honestly, yeah. Like if you're taking a couple of <laughs> years of insulin, 20 to 40 grams of carbs, you're good. You don't have to go and eat all the Skittles in your room or whatever food you're eating. <laughs> you know? I say Skittles because my daughter loves Skittles. That's what I'm picturing right now. Um, oh my God. But yeah, so now we know Clen works well. Now we bring an insulin for four to six weeks. You know that responds well. Maybe you work it up to two or three IUs pre-workout. Cool. Maybe we leave that in. Maybe we take it away. And then the next four to six weeks, bring in a little bit of growth hormone. Half an IU or one IU based on when you need it. Most females were using the drugs to build muscle tissue initially. That's why they're crossing over to the dark side, like you said. So let's put it before bed so it complements all those endogenous circadian patterns of growth hormone release, all the different kilodaltons, the thyroid spike at 2 a.m., the melatonin, it all looks very, very well to drive up systemic recovery. So muscle building, positive neurological changes, soft articular cartilage changes, you just name it, it does everything at night. So it's kind of like the blanket time to take growth. hormone. if you don't want to take it, take it before bed. That's always the, the easiest way to do. So at this point, we're what, 6, 12, 18 weeks in. Yeah, I think that math's right. I'm terrible at math, by the way. So we've trialed Clen, responded well. We tried low-dose insulin, responded well. We tried low-dose growth hormone, responded well. Now we're going to say, let's go. Like, let's try a low-dose insulin therapy and see how we respond to it. So generally, the first-time user of androgen is not going to want to inject themselves. So let's go with an oral preparation. On top of that, orals in males generally should be truncated and kept for the end of a contest prep, because if you compare them to injectables, they're going to provide the same amount of benefit, but it's more of an acute change. And also it causes more long-term issues. For females though, dosages are lower, liver sexuality differences need to be taken into account. And you're doing it in such a truncated window, three weeks of an oral, six weeks of an oral, if you're doing nothing, put some elevated liver enzymes or something of that nature, maybe some down regulation, 
at the renal level, but nothing crazy. So for peanut, orals can be used, you know, at month on, month off, month on, month off. I've not had issues long-term because of those changes. So if we have that and we're trying to decide what we need first of, we can make it really simple for most women and say, choose between an oral anivar or an oral weight. The difference between the two is more so energy system based. So they're all, they're both going to be oral DHPs. The wind straw is going to have a bigger player on those short-term energy systems. And is going to have a better player on the longer-term energy systems. So if you're a female trusted athlete, you want to err on the side of animal. If you are a, a female bodybuilder who's maybe doing a high intensity DC style training, something something like that, really high intensity, you go with a wind straw and you're starting off with as low as one milligram per day. That's going to be a big, robust response for females. And also something to remember with females is taking their orals. We're not trying to keep peak plasma concentration steady. You guys like to do it morning and night so that plasma levels stay up high and they're not really dipping too low, right? With girls though, if we have the therapeutic range, so it's this range right here, if we go too high, we get negative side effects. If we get too low, we don't experience positive side effects. With females, if you stay above that curve, get out of that therapeutic range, what do you get? More negative side effect accumulation. So instead, let's have a bolus dosage initially. I say pre-workout, take with a uh, usually a little bit of tutka and a whole egg so you can potentiate and diffuse that drug a little bit better, get more action, more positive action out of it. So you can take less, get more out of it. Have it pre-workout, you get some acute cascades, you get more out of it, and you're not accumulating negative side effects. You do that for four to six weeks, you take your notes, and you say, okay, where do we go from here? And that's kind of the escalation for the first time. You're going from clen, insulin, the growth hormone, to an oral, you know, anivar or a windstraw, depending on what they need. Sure, absolutely. So my question is kind of with that like setup, are you ever like stacking things? Like if they are responding well to, you know, clenbuterol, growth hormone, and insulin, would you stack the three and before even adding in androgens just to see if you can milk anything else? Or in your experience, do you start to see like maybe negative side effects from long-term usage from something like clen, where it does kind of start to build up in the system a little bit? Yep. So if we separate these, the background players that can always be in there for females and not have issues are things like your insulins and your growth hormones. Clenbuterols tend to only bring be in there for brief periods of time because it's trying to act as a weak anabolic player. So if we're taking androgen, that's going to have more anabolic action than the clen. We can drop that out. If we're a female in a contest prep, though, we can take that clenbuterol dosage up higher because why? We're trying to use it for fat loss. So the yeah. stacking thing does really come in. That's after you graduate from, okay, I've tried this. I know that. Now we can try and, try and layer things on and see the response. And clenbuterol, too, remember, first of all, it's prescribed generally like 40 to 60 micrograms for allergies from different parts of the world. It can be used long-term at that dosage with no problems. Females, in general, have lower body weight. That means less cardiovascular strain. There's not many females showing up at the ER with heart attacks. It's mainly obese males. We have some obese women having that, but like you guys are both very much in shape. I'm sure all of your viewers are female athletes. So they're not going to be the people that gets the cardiac issues. Genetic problem. Okay. That's a conversation, but usually that's not the issue. So clenbuterol can be used kind of chronically in a fat loss phase, 12, 15 weeks, um, depending on how long they need it, but it is something that should be brought in and out just like the androgens. Mm-hmm. Right on. Awesome. Let's see here. I would say my next question is what about the bigger girls? Like what about the girls that are like advanced? Like what would maybe a potential cycle design look for them or what like compounds would you definitely employ or maybe definitely not employ for those larger divisions? I'm thinking like figure, women's physique, women's body building. So, okay, bigger girls. I see those whiskers from the cat. They look awesome on the screen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, that high def. 
Yeah, oh, I like it. So bigger girls, more muscular. Are we talking like the professional level, kind of top end of the sport or kind of mid-tier? Mid-tier to professional, for sure. Okay, okay, cool. So we've graduated from the first-time user. We've graduated from the novice. This is the person who's maybe at nationals, maybe just turned pro, going to the Olympia or at the Olympia. The dosages can be pretty high. So what we're talking about maybe... 50 milligrams per week or under for kind of the other competitors. Once they get more advanced, those just can be 50 to 100 to 200 to 300. I mean, if we're being very, very honest on the Olympia stage, a lot of females are at the 500, 600 milligram per week dosage. Um, whether they are bodybuilders, physique athletes, like the dosages are very high. What everyone has to remember though is first of all, that's not what you need. They are an elite class of people that respond so much better to these drugs. So they can take 500 milligrams of NPP and get zero negative side effect accumulation because that's what they were bred to do. Yeah, they just dismantle these drugs so differently. So this is why it goes back to not comparing to the elite people, but understanding where these ranges kind of lie. So if we're looking at that elite level, nandrolone phenylpropion is an awesome one. It's really, really cool because if you study gestation at all, so I obviously got into that when we were having kids and then I worked in the fertility world and still do that a lot, that nandrolone, that, that downstream metabolite gets produced during pregnancy. So in terms of, if you want to say, the, I hate the word bioidentical, but everyone really likes it. So the bioidenticalness of it, we're making up words now, it works and responds very well in females. And they tend to accumulate a lot less negative side effects. So NPP is a big one. Primo is a big one, injectable Primo, because it just drives muscle building. A lot of those females don't need the extra fluid retention because let's be honest, if we're comparing genders, women were made to train harder, longer, faster, all that stuff than males, like from a fiber type architectural standpoint and just everything like the female race is meant to endure more so over guys. So females can handle a lot more stress. That being said, they don't need that extra fluid to get more leverage in the gym because they're already generally pretty good from an endurance and leverage aspect. If they need that, that's a different conversation. But generally things like your primos, your NPPs are going to come into big players. The background dosages of growth hormone and insulin are going to be there. Um, metformin is a very big one. So it does a very good job of just improving overall insulin sensitivity. So insulin sensitivity is not just your response to glucose. It's your ability to positive respond to nitrogen, lipids, and glucose. So imagine everything you're eating just gets stored into myocytes and the muscle cells and not into, bat, into adipocytes, fat cells. Who doesn't want that? That's only a benefit. So generally, exactly. Yeah, like everyone's raised their hand. And then it can even be used for the fertility side of things for women with PCOS and things like that. So metformin is an awesome drug for females. So at that kind of graduated, maybe just pro level or top pro level, it's generally a couple hundred milligrams whenever they're blasting of androgens, depending on what they need it made up of with background insulin, growth hormone, metformin therapy. And then there's all the other things out there that we would need. So maybe there are the carnitine players if they need more pressure on the training window itself. It really becomes a game of polypharmacy where it's not the fact that women are taking as much as guys, we're taking the same variety of drugs to fix the gaps and the problems that we're having, but the dosages are gonna be lower because females just can't take certain males will take multiple grams. Most females aren't taking that spell. There's a couple on the Olympia stage that need to, but bodybuilding, they don't care about the masculinizing side effects. That's them, they're doing their thing. That's just a different Dang, right on. Yeah. So I have a question, um, honestly. So would any of this matter if your client or athlete was on birth control? Would you pick a different route to go? Would there be different compounds that you would use different dosages, dosages, like if they wanted to maintain being on birth control while taking these PEDs? Like if that was a hard pass and they're like, I'm not getting off of it. Cause some athletes are like that. Like that's their main contraceptive to like mm -hmm. not get 
pregnant. So like, does that change your framework at all? Originally, so way back in the day, when you first start working with a lot of women, you think there has to be some contraindication or something that I'm missing. Because if you have a female who's natural with taking birth control, so whether it's an estrogen, progesterone, whatever kind of therapy it is, because there's a lot of different kinds out there, um, IUDs, all that kind of fun stuff. What you start realizing is birth control is really about finding the product that gives you the least amount of negative side effects. Me and my wife were actually, actually watching Netflix the other day. And there was a, a Asian comedian and he was hilarious because he talked about this on birth control, about how women are trying to find the drug that causes the least amount of depression. And with birth control, it's, it's really that. It's trying to find the drug that causes you the least amount of negative side effects. Once you find that, your other drug therapy and PED protocol does not change. The only thing that may change is the fact that if you're adding in testosterone, if you need some kind of hormone replacement therapy, that will change the dosage of your testosterone or androgens and things like that. But generally, we're just looking at biofeedback. So if you have a natural female on birth control, whatever form, and she's feeling great, we have a perfect baseline, we introduced maybe her testosterone levels start to go down, but estrogen, progesterone, those are covered. Maybe we introduce a little bit of HRT, so actual testosterone replacement therapy, one to three milligrams per week. If all of a sudden her joints feel even better, she's having more mental clarity from that spinal cord acetylcholine recycling, her libido goes through the roof, orgasmic strength and time to orgasm increases and improves. All of a sudden she feels like a superwoman. Awesome. Keep the dosage there. If you kick it up, maybe five milligrams and all of a sudden libido goes down. She's retaining too much fluid. Like she just doesn't feel like Wonder Woman anymore. It was an issue of too much estrogen converted downstream from your testosterone, pull the TRT back and then you're good to go. So to summarize, because I realized I just said a lot of things there, essentially it's almost treated as independent therapy. Right no, on, that's I'm awesome. Like, yeah. 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 Ash, you have another question? Uh, so in your opinion, um, are there any like division specific compounds or doses? Like, would you stick with like, say I'm a bikini athlete and I'm never going up. So like, is there certain compounds that you would stick with only bikini girls or is it again, just very individualized? Very individualized, but that answer doesn't help anyone. So let's use you as the live case study. What are you terrible at right now? Let's list your strengths and your weaknesses. Like, what are you just absolutely god awful at? Is it training that's holding you back? You need to be more intense in the gym. Is it you need to be stronger in the gym? Do you just need more sure muscle tissue? Is it more of a neurological where you can't feel muscles contract? Like, what are you missing specifically? Nothing. I'm fucking wonderful. Um, <laughs> that, that's a valid answer, though. Yeah. If you're just awesome, you want to accelerate it faster, then let's say, let's bring in something like an Anvar Primo to just build muscle. Let's even put a little bit of carnitine and insulin pre-workout to drive the performance of the workout itself. Let's put a little bit of carnitine, maybe post-workout as well, because if we're getting stronger, that accumulates acetyl groups in the muscle. That causes us to downregulate recovery. We need to clear those acetyl groups. So if you are just the awesome Ashley that you are, you're kind of looking at taking the dial up on everything. Like, seriously, that, that's a valid answer. Right. So... But honestly, no, holding me back is probably, well, I have an autoimmune disorder, so that doesn't help. Um, so I have Hashimoto's. Okay. So um, that would be my biggest holdback with water retention, stress. Um, and then as far as training goes, I don't train till failure right now. So. So with your Hashimoto's right now, do you have that under control with medication uh, thyroid wise? Mm -hmm. Okay. What are the dosages? Yep. That? I am T3 and T4. Um, for T4, I take uh 25 in the morning and then my uh t3 i am 2.5 twice a day so five total okay cool and taking that right now everything feels perfect right you're not feeling bad in any way 
Nope. I don't have any, not like before I was pre-medicated with like hair loss and um, yep. fatigue and all that. So. Okay, cool. So since you have that down, once you find what works for you, it's always good to stay on that and not deviate, but there's just some thoughts I would just want to throw out there. So if we look at endogenous circadian biology, that thyroidal spike and all the other constituents in the area that are released in our body, it's a nocturnal event. So thyroid medication was originally supposed to be prescribed nocturnally. So before bed, we have that big 2 a.m. spike. So generally, if we could, we want to take those before bed. Hashimoto's though, there's a difference. Since you're having these down regulations from an autoimmune system standpoint, sometimes your body dismantles that drug so quickly, you need a morning and nighttime dosage. So if you have to stay there and rely on what's normally going on in functional people, what can we do? We can bring some confidence that thyroid cascade. So selenium, do you have selenium or glutathione in place? I do not. Okay, cool. So selenium is going to be the thing you take in the morning to potentiate deodinase enzymatic action at night. So the deodinase enzymes are uh, underlying here and the thyroid hormones are up here. If the thyroid hormones to act properly, you need enzymatic action from these deodinase enzymes. So T3, T4 acts upstream to improve their action on tissues. You can have sky high T3, T4 levels in your biceps or your quads. If there's no enzymatic action in the deodinase spectrum of things, they're not even going to be functional. So the sad thing is we don't have a blood test to tell us, okay, this is bad, that's bad deodinase enzyme wise, we don't know. So the selenium mm -hmm. mixes that. There's a uh, called selenium precise off of Amazon. It comes in a nice little white package. It looks like it's a pharmaceutical product. That is a yeast-bound form of selenium that works extremely well. Start off with 200 micrograms with your first meal of the day. Going to cover that nocturnally. So you take it in the morning, at the night, and then glutathione. That's a big player because if we understand the thyroidal axis, it's all dependent upon all these different selenocysteine proteins. So if we can manage those. Uh, manage and bandage those actual proteins in that cascade, it can improve thyroid function and downregulation caused by your autoimmune problem. So a small dose of glutathione first thing upon waking on rest days, what, two times a week, most people are taking one or two rest days, right? Have that first thing upon waking, that's going to cover the thyroidal cascades for the next couple of days, as well as downregulate system each stress inflammation. So if you get injectable preparation, you would dose that about five milligrams per kilogram first thing upon waking on those rest days. If you add a little bit of taurine to it or something that's out there not added to it, it will act to break the hydrogen sulfide bonds between them to have more free, um, reduced glutathione to, to actually act properly. So in my females that have Hashimoto's, usually seleno, uh, or rather yeah, seleno precise selenium plus the glutathione really changes how they uh, metabolize that medication for the better. Wow. Awesome. So interesting. Wow. I have a follow-up question to that. So question. So let's say, you know, we're working with like a lifestyle athlete who has Hashimoto's aside from the competitor. Jill, the soccer mom probably isn't going to want to inject glutathione. So would a 600 to 1200 milligram replacement of N-acetylcysteine, uh, like NAC, would that be like a good, you know, swap for someone not wanting to inject glutathione? Yep. So we can take an N-acetylcysteine to donate to that glutathione synthetic process. That's an option or even liposomal glutathione. If we're looking at glutathione, injectable has the most amount of action. Liposomal right. second, oral is kind of the third where it's still benefiting you, but it can only, it has so many different windows and then things to actually go through kinetically that it generally gets dismantled and metabolized and kind of burnt away. So you can't use it as effectively. So there's also out there like the Tudkas of the world that can, can contribute to this process. There's a lot of cool things out there. So yeah, Jewel the soccer mom is not taking an injection. So you're sticking <laughs> to the liposomal or the oral pump, stuff like that. 
Right on. Dude, that's awesome. I just like, I literally just jotted down some notes for like my Hashi's <laughs> clients. Like, oh, wait, we should do this. No, that's awesome. Um, kind of getting back to like the, the dark side of peds or I, I guess dark side. Um, we need I, a new name some, for that. Like, I know. Like, the, I don't want to say the cool side because that sounds bad too. <laughs> we'll, we'll, bra- we'll brainstorm and get something going. But the dark, I mean, that's I like- right. Let me know when you find a better phrase because to me, it's 2023. We have a drug a supplement, a food, an intervention to fix almost every problem. Like drugs aren't bad. Drugs literally just saved everyone with the vaccine in 2022. Maybe it didn't save everyone, but you know what I mean? Like we have these drugs for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll brainstorm. We'll brainstorm. We'll let you know what we decide. But um, <laughs> uh, we do have some kind of some questions from our listeners. And so this one question, I feel like it's a pretty basic question. So she wants to know, does growth hormone alone help to improve body composition or is it needed with other peds to be effective? And obviously that kind of depends upon like how you're injecting and kind of like what your goal is. Because if we're talking like intramuscular versus sub Q, are we in a fat loss phase? Are we in a growth phase? And that definitely is going to be dependent, but she's specifically alone. Do you see in your like female athletes, if they're just using growth hormone, are they going to see these, you know, wild body composition changes? Oh, 1000%. So all these drugs work in isolation. It's just in our world of polypharmacy with athletes, we tend to want to do more like, oh, we're our glutes, our hamstrings are going so great. I want to get them even bigger. My biceps are flying going. I want it even bigger. So we honestly just get a little bit too caught up in that, that we tend to take multiple things at one time. Just growth hormone therapy alone works extremely well. The change between even like subcutaneous or intramuscular is really the changes in kinetic action. So generally with growth hormone, we just need subcutaneous intramuscular. Maybe if you're trying to time it like that post-workout window, but otherwise we can do sub-Q because what it also does very well is it drives localized fat cell apoptosis. So you have more fat on your glutes, trying to get them leaner, literally inject it sub-Q into your glutes. You start losing more fat from that area more effectively. So it's going to do all the goodness that it does. It drives a lot of positive neurochemical changes, obviously improves sleep. It just does so much. It's the reason why I have an 85 page ebook on it because it's just such an interesting molecule. I love it. I love it. And she actually had a follow-up question if there's any dietary restrictions when using growth hormone and something that like is common, you know, it's like, oh, we'll don't eat like an asshole. But obviously when you're using something like growth hormone, it actually impacts uh, hormones like the president AMP. So you actually can see water retention when using growth hormones. So what I personally found is sometimes having to alter a client's, you know, electrolyte balance between sodium and potassium just to help with that water retention. But is there anything else that you might see when it comes to dietary manipulation when on growth hormone or really any piece? Yeah. So with growth hormones specifically, if you're getting a ton of edema from it, you're taking too much or you're not in a functional position to, to use it. So if we look at baseline health, and I say health more meaning in terms of energetics, so what's your resting heart rate, nocturnal heart rate, blood pressure, can you nasal breathe while you're training and not be out of breath? Like if you are more energetically proficient, you're going to metabolize these drugs better and get less negative side effects. So if you have an obese client, female comes to you and she's 250 pounds, needs to lose a bunch of weight, takes an IU of growth hormone before bed or first thing upon waking, whatever, and she gets more food retention because she's very dysfunctional. She can't uh, dismantle and metabolize that drug yet get her lean, then bring it in. It's going to be a different story. So that's mm-hmm. specifically with growth hormone, but in general with dietary restrictions, 
nothing with androgens, nothing with like ancillary compounds. The biggest one would just be insulin, but that's the blanket statement. Make sure you're eating whenever you take your insulin, unless, you're, unless if you're trying to use it to drive down blood sugar levels, to donate more free fatty acids to the bloodstream. So like before a fasted cardio or, or like a PBO walk outside, something like that. Um, but that's lower dosage specific. But in general, think of diet as one thing and drugs as another. The drugs are changing women into something they were never meant to be. Same with guys. When you're an enhanced female, you're no longer natural. And that makes obvious sense, right? But you literally are operating at such a different level. The moment you take one drug, oral, injectable, whatever, you're forever changing your genes, generally for the better, but obviously some people can abuse and then you get some negative cascades. But in general, you're a different creature now. You respond differently. You have to treat drugs in an enhanced environment completely separate from your training and your nutrition. And then you obviously have to blend it all together at the end. So it's not completely exclusive, but initially your mindset has to be okay. My training is down, my nutrition's down, my road course down. Then the drugs come in to complement all of those. It's never the back, the other way around where you take the drug and then fix it with food or training. It's food, training, all that <laughs> stuff, then take the drug. That's literally all this community is. This is like, oh, well, I'm taking all these drugs and their diet's a mess. And you're like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, it, it's tough, right? You know, because now in today's day and age, you have semplotide to manage hunger. You have different things like modafinil to manage energy. You have yeah. all these cool things to fix all your problems. Sometimes people get lazy. That's it. People get lazy sometimes. So <laughs> get that tattooed on the forehead. That's I think right. Cool <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I have uh, just one final question for you. So I've seen you talk about like Terinabol and Anivar having kind of like a one plus one equals three effect in women. So what dosage of each compound do you see these effects and kind of like what female population would this be like the most applicable for? So if you are the person who says, when I ask them the question, you say, I'm just freaking awesome. I don't need any help. <laughs> like when we know. That's I mean, the person who can get away with it because it's driving the anivar, which drives a heavier pressure on protein synthesis and translation, but also driving the trinibal energetic actions. So you're not only building muscle tissue faster, but you're driving your performance faster. So generally dosages can be as low as one milligram each or all the way up to whatever that person's taking. So dosages are as low as two milligrams total, could be five of each, 10 of each. It's really generally kept. I like to keep it at a one-to-one ratio because remember this is for the person who is just a beast, absolutely awesome, has a cool beanie on, nice white fingernails, nose ring, and they just need more of everything. That's awesome. No, that's great. Uh, any uh, other questions you have, Ash? I don't think so. Like, I, I just like want to re-listen to all of this because I'm, it was I just know. so much to take in. It was such good information. Um, you're just very knowledgeable. We appreciate you so much. I'm just ready to like play it back because I'm going <laughs> to already listen to it again and be like, damn, I need to take some more notes. Absolutely. No, same, same. I do have a question just regarding like, you know, where can the people find you? So obviously like you have all of this great information, like, you know, I know, I think you were quoted saying that you only follow your wife on Instagram. So I know you're not like super like into like following people and stuff like that. But like, if people want to follow you and learn more from you, where can they find you? Yeah, definitely. So I only follow my wife on Instagram. It's just because like, I just, I'm so happy in my day-to-day -day life with my kids, my wife, my clients. Like I don't need to look outside for anything else. So mm -hmm. I always tell them, like, there's no other grass that's greener than my front lawn. Like I, I guarantee you no one's grass is greener. So I don't got to look anywhere. So with that being said though, the prepcoach.com. And then I post a ton of stuff on my Instagram, which I always forget. It's like, it's my name. And there's like a 
dash or an underscore, there's something. So if you go to I the think pe- there's, I think it's Alex underscore k- k- Kickle. Kickle. Tickle. Close enough. Kickle. Damn, I'm like, I'm trying to remember Tickle. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, everyone always says Tickle. It it's whatever. Oh my God, you seriously are only following one person. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I love this. Yeah. True to his word. He's straight up. He's true. He's literally only following one person. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Well, Alex, thank you so very much for your time today. Um, I hope that a lot of people get a lot of knowledge from this. Oh, we have one final question. Um, ask the question. Oh my God, I'm going to ask question. the question. Okay, so Alex, what does it mean to you to hold center? To hold center. So, you know, in, in, you know, in bodybuilding, when you're holding center, a center stage, first place, what does it mean? What does that mean to you? How do you get there? What does it take to hold center? I think probably not what most people think. It is the ability to have the confidence, the ability to display yourself in every situation properly. What I mean by that is, again, whenever things are going bad, how do you respond? When things are going good, it's pretty easy to be positive and happy. But when life kicks you in the face, what do you do? If you're not holding center on stage and you're on the far end, you deflate. You stop flexing your glutes as hard because, oh, I'm not center stage. No, you fight even harder. You pose harder. You put a bigger smile on. You make people rush. You, you stomp your heels on the stage. You say, hey, I'm over here. Like you make people look at you and you're always staying and doing things in a positive light and always trying to, I don't want to say fight for more because that sounds kind of lame, but you're always trying. It's always a good, positive effort. To me, that's what that means. Damn, I love that. That, that, that was, was an good. awesome answer. <laughs> I love that. That was an awesome fucking answer. Okay, I love it. We're going to end it there because that was just awesome. But Alex, again, thank you so much for your time and we'll have to have you on again. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. Absolutely. All right. Peace. Adios. <laughs>